Who is your favorite teacher? Miss Lisa, because she's really kind and she does crafts. Welcome to Episode 7 of Behaviorally Speaking, a podcast featuring board-certified behavior analysts Angela Nelson and Kristen Bondi. On this episode, Angela and Kristen are joined by clinical peers and teachers Maria Wilcox and Louise Kennett to discuss the return to education amid a global pandemic. Together, they discuss ways parents can best collaborate with their child's schools and teachers to navigate education through the pandemic and beyond. Behaviorally Speaking is brought to you by Rethink Benefits, an employer-provided resource to support parents and caregivers of children with special needs. Learn more at RethinkBenefits.com. And now, here are your hosts, Angela Nelson and Kristen Bondi. Hello, and welcome to our seventh episode of Behaviorally Speaking. I'm one of your hosts, Angela Nelson, board-certified behavior analyst and mother of two. And I'm Kristen Bondi, also a board-certified behavior analyst and mother of two. Hey, Angie. Hey, how's it going? Oh, pretty good. All right. So we have a special episode today. We have a couple guests, so we'll get to that in just a minute. All right. (laughs) So our episode today, we're going to be talking about teacher collaboration. We wanted to do this episode because when teachers and parents work together, we tend to see better outcomes for children. So, of course, when Angie and I were talking about this, we were thinking, all right, how can we do this uh, for parents so they can have strategies and support through the lens of a teacher. So we figured, all right, well, let's bring in a couple teachers. So we'll get to that in a minute. But before that, I'll give a little disclaimer. So we know this year is going to be unique uh, due to COVID. And we're going to talk a little, yeah, definitely. So it's going to be a little (laughs) different this year. And we are going to talk about that. But we also wanted to talk about just some general strategies to collaborate with your child's teacher year after year. So not so specific to COVID. COVID, but just in general. So we're definitely going to talk a little bit about that. And uh, I hosted a webinar for Rethink last week. It was big. So it was on so transition. Big. Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> like so, 5,000 people big. Mm-hmm, yep. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, so that helps us know that this is a really hot topic, right? So it's it's on people's minds. So we hosted that webinar. We had a great turnout, and so it only validated things for us. We were like, yes, this is a good topic. So yeah, absolutely excited. Cool. Well, let's let's without further ado, let's bring in the teachers. All right. We have <laughs> our friends and colleagues, Louise Kennett and Maria Wilcox, and both of them, we've uh, worked all four of us worked together for mm-hmm. years now in different capacities. Yeah. Maria, I have to tell you a little side note. Um, last night, my younger one, Rosie, we were looking through my pictures on my phone, and we found um, some from way back in I think it was. 2014. Yeah, we we had hosted, we had done some trainings for teachers in Santa Cruz. And then there was another one a couple, it looks like two months later in San Francisco together. And this was like six years ago. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to talk to Maria tomorrow. So it's crazy. But um, I'm going to turn it over to you guys. And maybe Louise, maybe we'll start with you. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, the first thing you'll notice is that I'm British. <laughs> That's normally the first giveaway when I start talking uh, on something like this or working with Rethink. 
Um, I am based over in the UK, but I've been working with uh, Rethink and families in the US for a good few years now. My background is in teaching. Um, I've been a teacher my whole career. <laughs> um, I run a school here in the UK for children with uh, severe autism, but I also spent the first part of my career in general ed schools and classrooms, um, kind of helping with children from all kind of walks of life, really. Um, I did my master's degree in applied behaviour analysis and became a board certified behaviour analyst, uh, kind of moved into kind of dual camps, really, being a teacher, as well as thinking and talking about behaviour more specifically to try and just create better outcomes for learning, behaviour, social skills, and all the things that we think are most important for children, really. So that's what I'm passionate about, teaching and helping families, supporting teachers, um, and ultimately, providing uh, services which are going to make a difference to children. Awesome. Thank you, Louise. And uh, Maria, you there? I'm here. Hi, ladies. Hi. So I am Maria, and I live in Colorado, and I am one of those people who, when I was a kid, I played school. So <laughs> becoming a teacher was like, <laughs> what else was I going to do? Um, I come from a family of teachers, so it was just kind of a natural progression. Um, and it's really funny. I um, went to, to my undergrad for special education, but kind of by accident, I had to take a special ed class just to fulfill like a requirement of an elementary licensure. And I ended up loving it so much that I changed from elementary education over to special education. So that was really pivotal in my life. And uh, I then got my master's in special education and became a board certified behavior analyst. And I, like Louise, have worked with all kinds of kids from all walks of life. Um, currently, I work with um, kids who have special needs, autism, severe developmental disabilities. Um, but I also have worked with kids with emotional disturbances and uh, learning disabilities. And I actually get to dabble in general ed as part of my job right now, which is really fun because I get to go into the classroom and help teachers come up with fun and creative ways to support their own classroom management and help them with their own learning and professional development. So kind of a nice mixture of all of the things. And likely my passion is outcomes for kids. I just want to see kids succeed, whatever that means for them. And sometimes we have to think outside the box, right? Like we have to be creative with, with what those outcomes are. But ultimately, like my work is to help kids reach their full potential. And it's so exciting to see. Oh, that's awesome. Well, this is exactly why we wanted you guys to be mm -hmm. on here today. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, okay, podcast over. You guys did <laughs> 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 yeah. Oh, so good. Great. Well, thank you so much for being here. Uh, I figured we could just kind of ask a few questions and give parents some some strategies and, and some uh, recommendations uh, in, into collaborating with, with teachers. So to start out, of course, we know, as I said before, collaborating with your child's teacher is so important. So I guess I could ask both of you this question. So what is your parent-teacher collaboration philosophy? So we can start with you, Maria. Yeah, so I think most importantly, parent and teacher collaboration needs to be a trusting partnership. I think parents know their child the best and teachers mm -hmm. in schools understand like, 
teaching and process the best. Like they spend all day in school, so they know what it's supposed to look like. Um, so I think if, if we can kind of meet in the middle there, like you, parents send their kids to school and then teachers do the school thing. Um, that to me is, is the big kind of foundation of it. Um, and then just building that trust through through time and communication, I think there is some vulnerability that needs to happen. And a little bit of like give and take, like I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do. And you parent are going to do what you say you're going to do. So mm-hmm. I think that to me is like the foundation of, of what's important and how we get there. Mm, I love that. Yeah. It sounds like you're kind of saying establishing some accountability too, right? Yeah. Yeah. On both ends, right? Like Mm -hmm. we can't have one person doing all the work and, or the other person doing all the work. It has to be, has to be mutual. Yeah, definitely. Definitely agree. Establish some trust there too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What about you, Luis? Yeah. I mean, I think I completely agree. It, the trust, it does come down to trust a huge Mm -hmm. amount because as a parent, you are completely entrusting the most precious thing in your world to a teacher for a vast majority of their day and for their life really um, during those pivotal years and I think I would have answered this question very differently before I had my own children you know and (laughs) even in those pre-child years you know I would have valued parents but I never would have really understood the trust element that goes on and the investment obviously that parents have in as much as this is what's important to me and my child and I really need you as the teacher to understand that and value that um, and to value my culture and my opinion because I think a lot of the time, um, kind of that parent-teacher relationship can feel quite strained because the parent doesn't really feel like the teacher gets it. And the teacher is trying to do that with maybe 30 children right. um, of all different walks of life, with parents with all different priorities. And that's the challenge for the teacher. But it's absolutely imperative that the teacher makes every parent feel like, yes, I do get it. I value your child. Um I am listening. And I think that's the most important part of that relationship is listening both ways. It does have to be that collaboration. And as Maria said, and you guys were picking up on, you know, you have to both be active partners in that child's journey. Um, Because whether the parent and the teacher have the same philosophy or the same goals, ultimately, it's the child's journey. Day by day, Mm -hmm. that child is coming into school and is being taught things, having their skills nurtured and so on and so at some point the parent and teacher need to kind of come on the same pathway really they need to collaborate they need to listen to each other and I can completely understand how some parents feel really wary of teachers they don't want to kind of open up and talk about what challenges may they may be facing at home or whether the fact their child hasn't managed to have breakfast that day and Mm -hmm. but those are super important things for the teachers to be aware of and so the teachers can then prepare lessons in a way and structure the day in a way which is going to be the most useful for their child. So it has mm-hmm. to be that vulnerability, as you mentioned before, on both sides, really, um, because as well trained as any teacher is in teaching, breaking down skills, teaching styles, organising successful learning, they will never, ever know the children in front of them as a whole without that collaboration with parents, because parents have been the child's first and most consistent teachers, you know, so Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. it's, it's that recognition of that fact and understanding that if you can tap into a parent's knowledge 
about a child you can literally open up like a treasure chest of gold mm-hmm. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. they've got the information that you need to be an amazing teacher and mm-hmm. likewise if you're a parent don't hold back on that information you know yeah. give that treasure chest of gold to that teacher you know sometimes yeah. there's that feeling of well you know you should find out on your own or you know you should know this but actually your child is going to get the best out of that teacher if they have all the information to begin with it sounds like um, you guys are really aligned in your philosophy. Really, like we're not operating in silos. It has to be this c- kind of intermingling of sharing information and collaboration and trust and sharing values to really make it successful. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. And I think I, th- I think it's impossible for um, to have a relationship without an understanding that there's no judgment. You know, I think parents fear judgment above all else, especially in today's society. And it's so unfair. But teachers are not there to judge. They're there to try yeah. and do the best job they can. I've never met a teacher who isn't there to want to do the best job they can. Mm-hmm. Um, it just might be they're having some trouble figuring out the right way. But every teacher goes into that job, into that career, because they want to do the best thing for every child. I, I really, truly feel. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think that's a I think that's something we all have to remember too is especially during right now with COVID, everyone's got, you know, tensions are running high and there's, you know, blaming and there's just pointing fingers, oh, we're not going back to school or oh, we have to go back to school. You know, it's we have mm-hmm. to remember that our teachers really do have our kids' best interest, you know, at heart and that's really central. So yeah, I love that. Um, let's move on to our next question, which we'll start here. Um, let's let's go to Louise first here. So what kind of information about a child do teachers want to know? And this is kind of just generally speaking, not necessarily COVID times, but what are they what do teachers uh, want to know at the start of the year? Yeah, absolutely. They, I think teachers want to know that treasure chest. They want to know all the things about that child, which makes them tick, which makes them excited, which makes them wary. You know, letting teachers know if they've had struggles in the past with certain um, teaching styles, maybe certain social situations are really important for teachers to be aware of. But simple things that maybe you don't think would be something a teacher would need to know, like family setup. You know, what are the Mm -hmm. family dynamics like? Is there anything the teacher needs to be aware of? Does the child have siblings? You know, do they have an extended family? They have lots of opportunities for maybe social interaction. Or is your family set up one more where the child is around adults more so than other children? That can be really useful, especially for much younger children, so that teachers can plan, you know, hey, um, this child, I'm going to really support them more with their interactions with other children. Whereas this child, I know they're going to be grand, you know, they're going to be out on the um, at recess, kind of jumping around with everybody without, you know, too much trouble. Things like previous skills um, are helpful for teachers to know, um, but just in as much as letting them have a guide as to where to start their kind of assessments, really. It's more kind of useful to let them know their particular strengths or maybe any challenges they're facing or whether you've actually managed to, if they're younger children, get them to a table at all, to do any tabletop activities, whether they show some really good concentration maybe some really great fine motor skills rather than specific academics because that's where teachers strengths are you know pinpointing Mm -hmm. that and finding that kind of stuff out um 
and really that personable information you know as I said you know what do they like what don't they like you know um, because if a teacher is struggling to engage them in a task it can be really super useful for them to suddenly think okay I remember their mum saying that they really liked um, Mickey Mouse so all I'm going to do is I'm going to print off this using a Mickey Mouse logo on it and that might engage this child a little bit more so things like that can just really help add in kind of some really special things into the teaching tasks you know well-being especially at times like these you know coming kind of into the reality we're all facing globally you know how anxious are they generally and at Mm -hmm. the moment are they anxious about returning to school that's really important for teachers Mm -hmm. to be aware of Um, and at the moment you know if they haven't had any other contact with any other children for maybe months again that is going to feed into something which is going to be really important if they're suddenly um, if they are able to go back into school what that's going to look like and similarly, if they've become really um, withdrawn, especially maybe older children, if the start of school with maybe online learning or anything, um, or even just a normal summer vacation kind of time, if a child is um, appearing to be more withdrawn at home and maybe acting a little bit differently, that's really important to let teachers and professionals know in their school so that they can keep a lookout they could maybe kind of give some extra time and talk with your child about that because what we don't want is that to be overlooked we don't want children who are feeling super anxious about maybe starting school or going back to school in a new class maybe with a new teacher when we talk about kind of uh, full semester um, sometimes there's lots mm-hmm. of change and if your child is particularly anxious about that don't feel worried about letting the teachers know that you know they definitely want to know that they're not just academic kind of robots they they do care about your children and they will be able to put things in place for that absolutely all right so let's let's go on to the next one maria what is one thing that you really want parents to know so maybe at the start of the school year yeah so this year is so different right uh, there's mm-hmm. so many things I want parents yeah, to know. Yeah, so many things. I, like, I <laughs> Sorry, just pick one. Like, yeah, I, I know. I was like, oh gosh, there's like four. Um, <laughs> so I think the number one is like, I'm just as nervous as you. Like this is this is so different. I've been a teacher for a long time and I know how to start a school year, but I don't know how to start a school year during a pandemic. Mm-hmm. So I just want parents to know like I am doing my best and I I am keeping your kids safe to the best of my ability and I'm doing everything that I can to ensure that safety. So I've been through lots of trainings. I've been through lots of uh, different processes to understand like how we're going to work on social distancing in school uh, when we're back in person. I'm also doing all sorts of things to plan lessons that are engaging and are going to keep your kids excited to keep doing school through the computer. Um, and it's not perfect. So I just want parents to know like, we are we are just as nervous and anxious about this as you are and we're doing doing our best to alleviate that but we're building the plane while we're flying it so mm-hmm. uh, you know a little bit of grace and patience I think goes a long way on both ends and I know that I'm going to get calls from parents where I'm going to feel like probably I'm being questioned about what I'm doing and that's okay because they are sending their most precious thing to me to figure out how we're going to educate them this school year. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's great. It's kind of, you know, it goes back to the first one. Again, collaboration, knowing that you're probably experiencing the same things, teachers and parents alike. They're, they have the same emotions going into this. So yeah, that's great. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I like the way that we're kind of bringing everybody together you know, both camps, the parents mm-hmm. and the, right. the teachers, it's like everybody, you know, the core feelings and emotions are actually the same, mm-hmm. you know, so yeah, cool. Um, all right, Louise, let's, let's bring it back to you. Maybe we can segue instead of one thing you want parents to know, what about what's one thing you want parents to do? Yeah. I mean, at the beginning of the school year, I think it's a very anxious time, as I mentioned before, for everybody um, at times. So I think just remaining calm, obviously now more than ever in our global climate, yeah. but remaining <laughs> calm around children, you know, sometimes, mm-hmm. especially if you've got a child starting kindergarten or something mm-hmm. like that, you know. Like me. We, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's such a super anxious time and the parents are, have got this big monumental kind of moment coming up just as much as the children. And, you know, those emotions are running high on a general kind of year intake. So I think remaining calm and even though you might be feeling a huge amount of anxiety, try not to pass that on to the children. Whilst, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you need to retain that excitement. It is super exciting at the beginning of a school year. Um, For older children as well, sometimes when uh, we as parents start kind of almost panicking about the beginning of the school year and how busy things are going to be. We start almost warning older children, you know, this is going to be really tough this year. You've got to be on it this year. You've got to get your assignments in on time. And we start layering on these expectations for older children, especially if they're entering high school. Almost, I mean, as parents, we're trying to do what we do best and trying to prepare them, trying to um, kind of lay down some ground rules. But actually, what we could be inadvertently doing is kind of increasing some anxieties there mm-hmm. um, and kind of beating them down before they even start, really. So I think in terms of what you can do positively is have a look at the systems you've got in place at home, kind of organization wise. If you're a super organized mom, I take my hat off to you because I am not. (laughs) Um, I am definitely someone who needs a system and frequent reminders to use it. So where are the bags going to be? Where are the shoes going to be? Where's um, the clothes each morning and so on? You know, think back if you've had a child at school previously in the previous year to where were the battles you know have a think through Mm -hmm. your morning routine like what was particularly tricky all the way through the year and how could you maybe look at things to change that so was it always breakfast was always taking too long and therefore everything was super stressful to get out the door so you know is there something you could do in the pantry to organize it to do that do we need to set alarms a little bit earlier kind of looking at those structures Mm -hmm. really and that organizational side in terms of you know, even things like when they come in, are you going to set up a new system like assignments go in the red tray? When they're done, they go in the green tray or do you can have things labeled Monday through Friday? Mm-hmm. How are you actually going to set up the paperwork, the bags, you know, the actual routine type things to try and make your life as easier as it could be, really? Yeah. I think kind of looking to see again um, how you're going to support the learning. but 
in a way which is useful as a family, don't try and do too much. You know, children learn a lot from school, but they also learn a lot from being part of a family. So don't overload yourself with trying to fit so much into the week, with trying to go over comprehension work as well as what they're doing at school, as well as their assignments. So maybe have a look at the week and think of some windows of opportunity to get some fact recall work in if you want to keep on top of that, some extra practice. Also, maybe building in family activities like games, having a games night, which focus on, you know, counting money, using some of the skills in just maybe more of a fun way. So you can feel that, okay, we're keeping on top of school, we're keeping on top of school, but we're also having fun, but also Mm -hmm. having some downtime as a family. Um, And likewise, creating some balance, I think is really important. After you've had this long summer vacation, it can feel like you're just hitting the ground at a really fast pace. So trying to create some balance, not I know at the moment, obviously, with extracurriculars, they're not happening as much and kind of sports activities. And maybe it's a good time to reflect on that balance. You know, how much time Mm -hmm. as a child are they having to themselves and to do things more flexibly? How much are just organised activities on top of school and trying to create a system that that will work long term for you as a family uh, once school begins again, really? Um, Yeah, that's awesome. I think so to kind of summarize, it sounds like you're saying a combination of um you know, having that balance, having good family times, having organizational systems, right? So being proactive, remembering what your pain points were last year. Um, mm-hmm. And and one thing you said at the beginning, I think really resonated with me because Kristen, you had mentioned this last week in the in the webinars that you hosted, which yeah, is- Yeah, I was just thinking that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, your, your outlook and your behavior and excitement or conversely, you know, anxiety mm-hmm. really could spill over into your kids. So especially- this year, just, yeah. you know, making sure that outlook and the way that you're framing the start of the school year, you know, I, Kristen, you said it, you know, great last week. It's yeah, yeah. exactly. you got to pay attention to how you are treating the beginning of the school year. So if you're yeah. looking at it from a negative lens and you're saying it in front of your kids, then there's a good chance that they're picking up on that. So they're going to go into the school year thinking, I'm not going to be able to do this. And so it's mm-hmm. kind of like what Luis was saying. If your child's going into high school and you're setting all these expectations because you're trying to do the right thing by saying, look, this is going to be your reality. You got to be careful with that because you might be layering it onto too thick. And then it's like, oh man, I've got too many things to think about. So um, yeah, I think it's nice for this year, maybe that there aren't so many extracurriculars. I know a lot of parents are like, what? (laughs) But it's a nice way to kind of maybe slow down into the school year. So since it's going to be pretty crazy. Even things as simple as, you know, parents get very excited and very precious over maybe new school bags, new school shoes, Mm -hmm. all of those things, new water bottles, but we kind of keep them pristine until the first day. Now, obviously Mm -hmm. for children with additional needs, you might need to do much more prep with that, you know, and check that they're soft enough, you know, brand new shoes are going to be nobody's friends. But even for (laughs) children with no additional needs, you know, they may need to wear their shoes a a few weeks before to try and wear them until they're comfortable. They may need to practice unzipping and zipping that 
backpack you know if it's a bit tricky so that they can feel confident on that first day so as a parent kind of although you're preparing them and like you think it's so lovely to send them off on that first day with all brand new things (laughs) you know (laughs) they get they get to school and can't figure out how to open up their water bottle or how to refill it you know then it can be a bit of a problem (laughs) I was thinking back to a a couple years ago I had a a kindergartner and she came to school in the cutest outfit and she could not figure out how to get it undone so she could use the restroom and I I felt so bad for for having to make that call but it was like um can we send her in just something that she can get in and out of real quickly so she can use the restroom with her friends and it was just it's like those little things that you don't think about that are such a big deal to kids Mm-hmm. being yeah. independent and and being successful at school and and that's exactly the thing especially with shoes I mean here in the UK every school has a uniform so children don't wear their own clothes to school at all in the UK um, and so they all have these very bizarre very black shoes very kind of starched kind of gray pinafores or skirts uh, sweatshirts that are quite thick and on the first day of school parents send them in by hello high water with a polo shirt and a sweatshirt and a full pinafore because they look really cute right and to take the photos on the first day of school but it's often still quite warm here in September when we go back mm-hmm. and these poor kind of kindergarten children are sweating and they've never taken <laughs> off a sweatshirt in their life oh. Oh. so <laughs> they can't do that um, and they've got lace-up shoes because they look really cute but they can't do laces yet so it's all those kinds of things that as a parent you could help kind of prepare them for that those last few weeks of the summer really um Mm. they do look cute I agree but uh (laughs) the teacher just hasn't got time to get 30 children out of their shoes or 30 children's sweatshirts off without it kind of impacting on the time teaching your children Great reminder. Yeah. 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 All right. Let's move on to the next one. Yeah. So, well, I guess this kind of piggybacks nicely off of that. So, you know, speaking of correspondence, so uh, Maria, what is, what's your preferred method of correspondence with a parent? And maybe more importantly, how do you determine that frequency? Yeah. Uh, so communication is huge for me. That mm-hmm. is like my number one. So I'm glad you asked this. Um but I think it's really dependent on the parent and what works best for them. And I say that with like a healthy dose of caution, because I think like, like that opens up a door like, oh, my teacher wants to hear from me every step of the way. All <laughs> right, <day>. right. <laughs> Which is true. Like, I, I do want to know what's going on. But I also want parents to be aware that every like communication is an interruption to learning. So using the established channels is that mutual respect. So I love email because it creates sort of a to-do list for me. So I can easily like say, okay, I did that and file it away. And I also have to have systems for myself, like similar to what we were just talking about. So I have folders and I put your kid's email into their folder. And then I know like, okay, if I didn't get to that, I need to do it tomorrow. Um, And then I think just like being aware that like in most businesses, you give people a business day's turnaround to respond to an email. School is not like that for whatever reason. Like parents email and they're like, why didn't you email me back? And you're like, I don't have 30 kids in front of me. I don't know. (laughs) And it's, I understand like things feel pressing sometimes. So just being like aware that I, I can't always respond in the moment, but if, I might acknowledge it and say, hey, if I don't respond to you by Friday, send me another quick note just to remind me I'm happy to happy to get to it then. 
um, hold me accountable too, because sometimes things just slip past my radar and that's okay. Um, I also think schools do a really, really lovely job with like those on the fly communications, like a doctor's appointment came up or mom needs to pick up the kids early because there's dentist appointments that they need to get to, whatever it is. So that's where use your school office and use those systems that are in place for that because there are channels then that happen and parents can can quickly relay messages and they get to the teachers through whatever systems they've set up. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a lot of schools use things like Class Dojo and School Loop and that sort of thing, which are fabulous technologies because you can have it on your phone. And it's just a really nice way to have that communication if it's something like, oh, I need to tell that teacher that. And if I don't do it right now, I won't, I won't remember. Um, and then Kristen, like, I love that question about the frequency because I think daily communication between home and school is really important. And it goes back to everything that we've talked about. What did you do at school today? And it's like that old, you know, like, what'd you do at school today? I don't know. Nothing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, I was that kid. I, I could never remember what I did at school. So I am a really big fan of like the old school communication log or journal or like a lot of schools give kids planners. And I really like it because it's very differentiable. I don't know if that's a word, Um, but you can, (laughs) you can put pictures in for little kids and they can circle what they did at school that day. Elementary kids can practice like writing a sentence. Like I ate lunch with Bobby and then high school kids can work on like compound sentences. Like I worked on my biology project and I went off campus for lunch. So it's just a good way to practice reflective learning, which is a huge, huge part of making sure kids remember what they learned is reflecting on what they learned. Imagine that. Um, You have to do that as adults all the time. Um, So I really like the communication log and just having that back and forth. And for parents, like that's where that mutuality comes back into play. So they can take the time, whether it's that afternoon after school, during dinner, before bedtime, in the morning, like whenever you have five minutes, just check and see what your kid wrote down in that back and forth communication, whether it's their planner, a special journal or whatever it is. Um, It doesn't have to be like a long drawn out conversation. Just be like, oh, it's cool. You're working on your biology project. I hope it's going well. Let me know if you need help or ask your teacher if you need help. Um, And it's a really great form of modeling too, for your child to see that healthy collaborative partnership between them in school and you in school and just being positive about what it is they did and and that good communication that can happen. Yeah, I love that. And it's so important. It really, it helps bridge that gap, you know, from, from the, what the child saying, I don't know. And then the parents are like, okay, you know, and it's, it's, you can bridge the gap. You can see, well, here, it looks like you did this, you know, and you can really use that to your advantage as a parent and, and say, let's talk a little bit about this. And I think it works just as well for behavioral needs. So if a child is having some behavioral challenges in the classroom and as a parent, you want to reward appropriate behaviors, you need to know they exist. So I'm a, I am also a huge fan of those logs. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. I think that's just a, such a nice way to bring the parents and teachers together. Yeah, I love that. Absolutely. So we're going to switch gears. We're going to talk a little bit about COVID-19 right now as it relates to school. And Louise, I think you did a great job of giving us a lot of really, I mean, speaking of the treasure chest, right? You gave mm-hmm. us a treasure chest of things that parents <laughs> can do. Um you know, for the beginning of school year. But let's talk about this fall. Some kids are already starting to go back to school. What are some important, or I guess, what's the most important thing that parents can do this fall during COVID to support their kids' education? 
Okay, that is a loaded question <laughs> in, such, <laughs> in such kind of um, unprecedented times as we keep saying, but I think yeah. it's it's being calm and positive. You need to channel every kind of drama, school kind of talent that you may have ever had as a parent to remain calm and positive. I think if pupils are able to return to school and, and, you know, your district is allowing that to happen, then, you know, you obviously need to let them know what the new rules are and good practices, but try not to overly question them. And I know I touched on this earlier a little bit about kind of creating anxieties where maybe there weren't any to begin with. So it is a fine balance. Um, But again, you know, if children are returning to online learning rather than school, that's almost just as important, you know, because you need to involve them in the conversations around how um, they might be feeling about that. But try not mm-hmm. to put words into their mouth, like how disappointing it is or how hard it's going to be if you're having to work from home as well. Try to have maybe discussions about that away from them, um, because if they feel like them being at home is going to be harder for you because you're going to be working, you know, mm-hmm. and um, how awful it is. And, you know, you might be having just normal conversations but not realizing that it could have a a kind of impact on them I think um trying to look at a position of positivity so you know being empathetic and saying you know I can see how sad it's making you not being able to see your friends at school and I can see that it's frustrating that it can't be fixed right now I'm here to help you if I can you know can you think of anything I can do right now to make you feel a little better so you're kind of absolutely going on that empathy kind of mm-hmm. uh, thread and you're kind of telling them there's nothing anybody can do to fix it and that's annoying you know you actually need to join them almost in that yeah, yeah. that's really frustrating mm-hmm. um what can I do right now how can I be here for you as, as your parent you know if they are having to do online learning so which I know a lot of you guys are still um over in the states trying to be positive about what space they're going to have. Have they got a new water bottle to keep them hydrated? Thinking about screen breaks, the glare on the screen. Um, what chair are they using? Was it comfortable before the summer? You know, how could you make it more comfortable? Is there a cushion you can grab from around the house to put on it, etc.? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, having more patience with children on the return to school, either if they're going in or on online learning, they're going to be more tired, maybe more grumpy, <laughs> maybe <laughs> uh, less tolerant when they come home. So again, not expecting maybe too much from them. You know, and yeah. as you guys just said about communication, like as parents, we just want to know whether they enjoyed school we just want to know if they had a good mm-hmm. day but maybe just being a bit more specific about the question so can you tell me one new thing you learned today what was one interesting thing who did you talk to at recess um mm-hmm. was you know was bio- biology better than math you know trying to just be a bit more specific to get an answer maybe yeah. um and again, if online learning is proven difficult, then keep the teacher informed. You know, we're talking a lot about communication, but, you know, there are different things that teachers can do with that online learning platform um, to try and help with that. So as a parent, staying calm and being positive. So if your child is struggling, saying, OK, I understand this is something we could do instead, trying to kind of pull it, pull it back to some level of empathy and positivity mm-hmm. there. I know Kristen's webinar is great and I would urge any parent who's listening to this who hasn't yet seen that to absolutely check that out um, on the easing the transition part. Mm-hmm. I mean, educationally, as a parent, 
you know, just look at those essential skills, really. Reading, writing and math facts. If you focus on nothing else, those are the essential skills um, that you can't really go wrong with. Keeping excitement around reading going if you can. Um, keeping some stamina up with writing um, and kind of multiplication, addition facts are always going to keep your child in really good stead um, you know, for, for teachers. Yeah. And, you know, the thing is with online learning, it could be that the most important thing you could do is actually help your child type quicker. Because if they're having to engage with maybe chat questions or um, kind of asking questions, you know, typing and assignments having to be submitted electronically, then if their typing speed is quite slow, that's going to hinder them with their learning. So it could be that that's something you want to do or adapting your technology. So if you've, I know that some um, children in kindergarten are having to do online learning. So, you know, if you face them with an entire keyboard, it might be a little bit overwhelming. So maybe blocking off some of the keys with labels or stickers maybe key buttons they should never press you know cover over <laughs> Exit, um, escape <laughs> yeah and, and simply if you've got like a desktop with a mouse that can be really tricky for either children with additional needs or very young children yeah. so maybe having a green sticker and a red sticker on the left and right button of the mouse so and you could say oh you know you need to press the green button now or you need to press the red yeah. button now something yeah. like that to make it easier yeah, those are those are awesome awesome takeaways. I think, you know, it sounds like you're suggesting giving or you know, really permission parents to be proactive, right? And to plan these things. Like if your child doesn't know how to use a mouse, that's a good thing to work on mm -hmm. right now. A lot of these things we don't even think about until we're presented with the <laughs> the problem right there. Um and I love the example or just the the idea of being positive. I one quick example is my younger daughter starting kindergarten. And you're so right, Louise, where you say, you know, kids are listening, right? They're picking up on these things. If you're saying to your friends or you're, you're talking to fellow parents, oh, yeah, I don't know how I'm going to balance working and, you know, taking care of my kids schooling at the same time. Oh, you know, your kids are hearing that. So right. I'm noticing that for myself. I'm trying to be positive. My neighbor the other day, she's a teacher. And my daughter said, well, I'm going to start kindergarten on the computer. My my neighbor really put it in perspective for me. She said, wow, you're probably the only grade or the only school kind of group of kids that could say you started kindergarten on the computer. How cool is that? Right? And yeah. so that really put things for me and, and really reminded me that I need to keep a positive perspective. Yeah, that's yeah, great. Good for her. All right. So – Let's keep moving here. We'll jump to the next one. So I, I love this one. I think it's really important. Uh, and, um, you know, of course, it'll be different for, for a lot of teachers. But really, from your opinion, Maria, uh, what constitutes a successful student? So really, how can parents set their kids up for success? Oh, my gosh, that's a great question. <laughs> so I think success is so individual, right? Like, Yes, we can say successful students have good grades and they graduate and they go to college or trade school and they have a great fulfilling career. And that that is true. But I think that before we get to all of that, like we have to think bigger, like what are all of the things that school teaches us? So mm -hmm. we we go to school to learn how to to read and we learn how to do math and we learn how to conjugate verbs and we do all sorts of really hard things. But even bigger than that are the skills of perseverance and and stick with itness and having a good attitude to keep doing things that are hard. So mm -hmm. I think 
like those are important things for parents to to instill in their kids and whatever that looks like for you I I know kids like we've said so much like kids pick up on so much of what goes on at home and it could be just something like you're teaching your child to make their bed and they're really not having a great time learning how to make their bed and you just have them do it every single day and then when they finally can do it you say oh my gosh that was so hard for you to learn but aren't you glad that we stuck with it every single day and now you are the best bed maker in this house. <laughs> and, and that's a skill that's going to carry with that kid to school. And that's where you can communicate with the teacher that, you know, it took her a little bit longer to learn how to do this thing at home. But when she did learn how to do it, she was so proud of herself. I know those are the stories when parents tell me, like, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited to teach your kid how to write their name because it might take a little bit longer, but we are going to do it. And they're going to be so proud of themselves when they're done. And that's what keeps me motivated and keeps me going as a teacher. Um, And it's also just like, it's a good reflection question, I think, just for life to say, like, tell me something that was hard for you to do before. Okay, is this as hard as that? Oh, it is. All right. Well, what were some things that that got you through it last time? What was what made that other hard thing something that you could do? Oh, your mom, your mom cheered you on or she gave you high fives. Your your dad gave you a sticker on your sticker chart every single day. Okay, well, well, I can probably do things like that too as your teacher. And it's just a nice transference. It's good generalization to to use those those previous learning opportunities in the classroom and, and generalize them to other skills. So I think um, like we're embarking on this collective experience as humans and we're reimagining how we teach and, and just being more creative in our problem solving. And I think that kind of the more we can work on these, these bigger skills that are not just academic, but just good life skills, our kids are going to be so much better for it in the long run. Yeah, I I love that. And I I actually thought of uh, an example where I did exactly that as a parent from a parent perspective, but my son was going to preschool or he's at daycare, but they're doing preschool type stuff. Um, So he has to write his letters. He's got to trace and write his letters. And he was thrown a fit, didn't want to write them. And he said, he essentially said they were too hard in so many words. So I said exactly that. I was like, you know, sometimes things are hard, but if you practice it enough, then it gets easy, right? Like you can do it. So now he, success story, now he's writing his letters with no problems and he's like, oh, I can do it now. So I think that's so important from a teacher's perspective and from a parent perspective to make sure that you are setting them up for success, starting small and then really growing from there. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. It's it's that all-important word, yet. Like, you can't do it yet. Yeah, you can't do it yet, exactly. But you will get there. You just got to practice. Yeah. It's the growth mindset kind Mm -hmm. of concept. I love it. Mm. Perfect. All right. Well, let's go into our last question. Um, Go in, and and this is for for both of you. So maybe we'll start um, back with Louise. Um, If you could leave parents with one thing from your viewpoint as a teacher, what would it be? I would say trust in your instincts because children will remember how they felt through these tumultuous times way more than what they learned or they didn't learn. Um, And often children can see the fun in things that we can't as adults. So um, I've said it before, positivity and calmness, but also just trust in yourselves, focus on what you can control, maintain your boundaries, (laughs) you know, (laughs) through the time, but just try to look after yourselves as much as them and create an element of calm in the chaos. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. 
Maria, what about you? Yeah, I think I would say engaging your child's education in a way that's meaningful to you. It doesn't have to be you're the parent, you're parent president of the school organization or you're volunteering every single chance that you get. But as long as you're engaged and communicating and being part of your child's education, it goes a long way. Your kid notices, your teacher notices, and it just it makes things so much more positive to feel like your, your parents were involved in your, your school experience. So engage in a way that's meaningful for you and what feels right for you and your family. Mm, I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Thank you guys so much. That was awesome. Such good insight and perspective and information. Um, you know, you know, you guys know we've been, we've all been colleagues for, for years um, across many, many different time zones, but uh, it's just so nice to kind of come together and see, that wherever you are in the country or, or, or the world, really, there are a lot of commonalities among schools and teachers and parents. And so it's just really nice to come together and to kind of have a little discussion about it. So thank you so much. Yeah. Great. Thanks, thank guys. you for having me. Thank you. All right. Well, thanks everyone for joining us for our seventh episode of Behaviorally Speaking. Join us next month on another hot topic easing the transition back to education. So we'll talk a lot about tips for that. And until then, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform so you never miss an episode. You've been listening to Behaviorally Speaking with Angela Nelson and Kristen Bondi, brought to you by Rethink Benefits. We want to take a moment to say a special thank you once again to our guests, Louise Kennett and Maria Wilcox for joining us on this episode. Find out more about Rethink Benefits at RethinkBenefits.com, where you can find past podcast episodes under the Resources tab. We invite you to subscribe, follow, like, and leave us feedback wherever you listen to podcasts. Your feedback helps us prepare topics and content for future episodes. Until next time, be well.